Today I'm going to be speaking about the confession of sin and if the confession of sin is really needed. Uh, you know, when we read John chapter 1, we've got this big thing about sin confession and then should we confess our sins, uh, you know, God would forgive us. And what we have always thought, and I remember the days when I uh, was looking at sin confession uh, and when I just got saved, you know, I, I had this thing of, you know, you need to confess your sins and then God will forgive you for every one of those sins. And if you have not confessed your sins, then the devil would have a, a kind of a, a door into your life. And we're going to look at that. Maybe you have heard uh, this message before or something along those lines from some other preachers. Uh, and that is great. But I would like to encourage you to listen to the whole message because I'm going to mention some things here that is, um, that is, I don't want to say it's new, but it is something that I've seen in the light of the physical resurrection of Jesus and a physical body and why Jesus had to be raised from the dead and stand up um, from the grave and forgiveness. We're going to connect this. So I would like to um, just read from John chapter 1 verse 1 or 1 John 1 verse 1 and we're going to talk about the confession of sins. 1 John 1 verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and uh, to cleanse us um, from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Now, that, uh, that is the whole of John chapter, 1 John 1 verse 1, and there's been a lot of controversy about that. And I, you know, I don't uh, claim that I know everything about that passage, neither will we be able to explain every verse in the session, but I would just like to share with you in general what I see is written in this passage. The first thing that John starts with, he starts with uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is what 1 John is all about. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. And you say, Bertie, but where do you find resurrection here? It's very simple. Uh, John comes and what he focuses on is that we could have, we touched Jesus, we felt him, our hands have handled him. Now there were many people that in that time that believed that there was a guy like Jesus that was crucified and that he could be seen and touched and all those kind of things. Yet, uh, John comes and he puts a great emphasis on that. And what I believe why he emphasizes that is um, he's emphasizing the phenomena of the fact that he could feel and touch and handle Jesus 
after he died in living form. In other words, he's focusing on the resurrection. Because it wouldn't have been a big thing for those people to say, our hands could have handled this, um, we could have seen this Jesus, and those kind of things. What he talks about is he's talking about a word of life. And this word of life, we could see it, our hands could handle it, we could feel it, we could touch it. So what he is saying basically is that there was a message of life that God had from the beginning for man. And um, this life that there was for man and what God intended from the beginning for man came and manifested in the earth in a way that we could see it and feel it and handle it. You know, one of the most beautiful things when we are um, in, in uh, when we talk to people of different religions, uh, the beautiful thing about Christianity is that we are not coming, uh, when we come, we're not coming with the authenticity of the scripture. W that is not the foundation for, of our reasoning. Our logic is in something much greater than does the Bible contradict itself or not. Because a document that doesn't contradict itself doesn't have the ability to save you. You know, if salvation was found in does a document contradict itself or not, you know, then people could have been saved by a lot of documents. But that is not what saves us. What, what God tried to communicate and what brings salvation is the very simple fact that God had, has got the ability in His love and that His love supersedes our inabilities and that He can take a man that's dying and give that man life. That is the whole thing. And when we come, uh, you know, to a table with, with our argument, we come, our argument is found in what was seen and heard and felt. And when we look at Jesus and 2,000 years ago, what took place there, we found that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at once. And what's amazing about that is, if you would take that to a court of law, and you would have 500 eyewitnesses, that a man was raised from the dead, um, the court of law would come and say, well, it is true, he was raised from the dead. They wouldn't care about what the medical science say or what anything say. If they saw that there are people that saw him die and there are hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw his death, and now there's hundreds of eyewitnesses that he was resurrected and that he could be touched and felt, that is something amazing, and they, it would be impossible in a court of law to prove that it has not taken place. So we see hundreds of people that has actually seen Jesus, and John comes with that reasoning. He comes and he says, listen, I want to explain something to you. And, and when he's writing here, I believe he's writing to the church. Um, in First John, he's addressing the Gnostics that were, that's been in the church, and what the Gnostics basically believed is they believed that all matter is evil. In other words, they believed that their physical bodies were evil. They believed that all of creation is evil. And, the, and they actually believed that the very soul of man is also evil. But the only thing that was not evil in man was his spirit. And uh, what they then said is we are living in this darkness of, of, of this body, this darkness, and we are dwelling in this darkness, and there's no light to ever come to this darkness, uh, which is the body. This body will die, and we are simply just on a journey in this body where in our spirits 
are enriched. And then we will go to heaven and we will live in eternal bliss in our spirits. Now, sadly, a lot of that Gnosticism has come into the church. And what we've basically uh, believed is that our spirits are saved, you know, and our bodies are basically evil. Our bodies are dying and our bodies is, we actually called, looked at our bodies as negative thinking, you know, if, if, you, if your body likes something or, or this, if you buy yourself a nice jacket or a shirt or want to live in a nice house, you are in the flesh. And everything, every desire the body would have, we would call in the flesh. And we, you know, there are so many religions that actually believes if you beat your body, um, you know, if you physically beat your body, then you will find that um, you are putting the flesh under because they see that as evil. Where Jesus Christ comes and he reveals something completely different. The light of Jesus, and what the Bible talks about if you read Corinthians, um, the light of the gospel is the glory of God that shines in the physical face of Jesus Christ. So the light of the gospel is this, that God can glorify your body. That God can glorify your body. Now, a lot of, um, of, a, of and I didn't even plan to say all of this, but let me go into this, and it might sound a little bit technical. You know, sometimes I want to just do something very simple, but I bring forth some technical stuff. So I think there might be some of you watching this live message, and you are just uh, in your hearts drawing. You want a little bit more understanding on things, and that's how it comes forth. So let me minister this to you. You know, if we look at our bodies, uh, if your physical body is in a fallen state, what it means is that, I th and, and this is the way I see it, is that all the, your capacity of your brain and your emotions and everything that is around you doesn't function at, um, as it was designed to function. So um, it would be like somebody that got brain damage. And if he, got, if he gets brain damage, then you would find his personality changes. He is, um, he's, uh, he's, some people would worry about nothing. Other people would be angry very quickly. Everything changes um, according to our brain. And that's why we even find people today that say, you know, why do we believe in a God? Because everything, we can measure everything. Everything is in line with um, creation and we can declare all these things and understand all the neuron paths and everything, your thoughts can even be measured electrically and all those kind of things. Now, that's how God made us. But the way this body functions is in a way that it cannot live forever. And what God had to come and do, um, it, it's like if, if you live in a body that is, um, if you've been in an accident and you, you don't have legs, you know, then you will find limits, there's limitations. In the same way, the real you is somebody that God sees as beautiful, but this body limits you. And what Gnosticism said is God wants to deliver you from the body. But what Jesus Christ said is, I'm going to save your body, that your body can give full expression to who you are. Now, in the case of Gnosticism, which John was addressing here, and there were a lot of Gnostics in the church back then, um, what, what they believed was, we don't care what we do in the flesh. We don't even 
care if Jesus came in a physical body. Um, because we're going to leave this body anyway, and we're going to go and be with God. That is what they believed. Um, And John comes and he corrects this. He says, listen, I want to tell you about the promise of life that God had for man from the beginning. And this is what God has planned. And he came and demonstrated his life in this world. And we saw a man that had a body that was dying, like all the Gnostics would say, And we would see a man that carried all the sin of all the world, as the Gnostics would say, all flesh is is, is basically evil or has got sin or inability. We saw that man. But then when we saw God's word about eternal life, we saw that it doesn't exclude the physical body. So since the word of God doesn't exclude the physical body, We need Jesus for salvation because God has come and he raised a man from the dead. And in his death and resurrection, we come to new knowledge. We come to the knowledge that God wants to save this body. It's not just a spiritual thing, but it is actually a physical thing wherein God can heal the human body to the point that it can give full expression to what God has planned for man. Now, these Gnostics said, you know, we don't, they didn't even believe in the physic, that, that Jesus was physical. They believed he was a kind of a spirit that you could see, like a vision almost. And, um, and they lived in that sin. The sin of not believing in Jesus, the error of their doctrine, and the fruit it carries in their lives. That is what this whole thing is all about. And what John tried to communicate to them was that you don't have to come and say, well, and this is what they actually said, and we find in the church as well, we say, we we have no sin. We are spirits, and we have no sin. That is what he he said. Now, um, for for those of you that's been listening to grace messages for a long time, please don't think that I am taking away the blood of Jesus and um, saying that, we stand guilty before God or any of those things. When I talk about sin here, I'm talking about the inability of man to produce the righteousness of God in his life by his own works. Human flesh doesn't have the ability by the law to produce the righteousness of God in his body. It's like I would say to my Muslim friends. I would say to them, I would even say Muslim brothers, because, and the reason why I would say brothers is because Jesus said to people that, even before he died, before the cross, he said to people that didn't even believe in him, that were just finding out, he said to them, your heavenly father knows your needs, calling them his brethren. So um, from that perspective, if I look at the Muslim people, and this is what I asked them, I said to them, listen, if you want to be saved by the law, how is it working for you? Um, Can you live without sin every day? And what I find there is that they, they don't want to acknowledge sin. They don't want to acknowledge that they've got sin. It would always be another scripture and another this and another that. Instead of saying, you know what, I don't have the ability to live according to the law and bring myself to an immortal human body. I don't want to, they struggle to, to acknowledge that. It is, it's not about a physical resurrection. It's all about going to heaven. Uh, where Jesus came and he said, listen, this is not about going to heaven. This is about me actually saving 
bring salvation to your body. I'm healing your body. And as I heal your body, I heal your mind, I heal your thinking, I heal so many things as I love on you and as I am good to you. And in doing that, He's actually setting you free from not partaking in His quality of life. So what He's saying here is, He's saying to them, and let's, let me say this as simple as what I can. He's saying, listen guys, I want you to have fellowship. That what fellowship means, communion, oneness. Go and study it in the Greek. You will see it actually means, it even goes as far as saying intercourse. The Afrikaans word gemeenskap. Oneness. That's what it talks about. So he says, I want you to have fellowship with God and with us. I want you to be in the union with God that we are in. And the union that we are in with God, the the understanding we have and what we are experiencing with God is that He brings salvation to us holistically. He brings salvation to us completely in every part of our being. We are not saying, well, we didn't need a physical Jesus, you know, because just our spirits are saved. What we needed was a physical Jesus, and we've come to to the revelation of what takes place of what took place and what God came to communicate in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. What God came to communicate in the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that he can take a man who's got all sin and all death upon him and completely deliver him from all sin and all death so that he can be perfectly righteous in his body. And we see that salvation here is directed towards humans, not towards human spirits or just the souls of humans, talking about a mind, will, and intellect, but that God came to save the human being. That is what he's come to do, and that is the argument that he has here. And he comes and he says to these people that if you you say that you are in the light, in other words, I am going to heaven, but you are still walking in darkness, So he was now basically doing what I uh, did with some of my Muslim friends. I said to them, how's the law working for you? How can you say that you've got the revelation of God and that you've got the set of rules given by God that can bring salvation to man? You are saying that. How's it working for you? So, and then I would, and what I'm basically saying to them is, how can you say that you are in the light and yet you are walking in darkness? This thing is not working. So in the very same way, in Christianity, um, you know, we can ask the same thing. You know, how does the message of Jesus that died and rose up, how is it working for us? And I'm going to explain that because in that explanation, you're going to even understand that you will still, you might still see some sins in your life and it can have no voice to you because of the complete plan of Christ. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where I've been, uh, I think Joyce Meyer says it this way. She, they ask her, have you arrived yet? She say, and then she would say, no, I haven't arrived yet, but I, I know I've already left, and I'm not where I used to be. So um, I'm not trying to say that, you know, let us try and progress in Christian living. What I'm saying is, is that God's salvation works by His doing through a relationship. And um, it, Six months ago, certain things might have upset me, which doesn't upset me anymore, yet I could still see some things in my life that I don't 
um, that, I, that, I, that I cannot conquer uh, by my own willpower, and if I could change it, I would have. But in that time, I can come and I can acknowledge my sin. I can acknowledge my inability to be righteous by my own works. And, in, and should I have been living under the law, I can acknowledge the sin saying, I thought that I could be saved by my works, but I realized that I cannot be saved by my works. In, these ca- in, in this case, what, what uh, uh, John wanted these people to do is to um, come out of darkness, which would be the revelation they live in, so that they could be and acknowledge that they have sins, because they would say, since matter is evil and I live in an evil body, you know, you can't assign any sin to me, you know, because I live in an evil body. And therefore, since I live in an evil body and you can't assign sin to me, why do I need Jesus to die for me? It's not needed, because my spirit is holy uh, uh, from God and my body is evil. So how can God now say he actually wants to save me? What do I need salvation from? Because they didn't see themselves as human beings. And we find the very same problem in the church. We've, we've come to a place where we want to say, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. That is not the truth. The truth is you are a human being that can consist of a spirit, soul, and body. But you are not a spirit. Have a soul and live in a body. You are a human. And the gospel plan, is, the gospel is this. Say, as a human, I don't have the ability to, um, as a human, I am a sinner. Sinner means I am not a partaker, I am not a sharer in the divine nature of God as a human without God bringing it forth in me, giving it to me freely. That's why Jesus Christ came. You know, if you can confess that and you can then look at Jesus, if I can come and say, I am a, I'm a, I'm a human, I've got a spirit, I am a spirit, soul, and body. I'm a human, I'm a living soul, the Old Testament calls it. And as I am that, I find that me as a person can never have eternal life. And if I can then look at a man who has got a human body, who had all sin, who simply relied upon the Father to give him eternal life, and I can say that that sin and that death was mine. You know what will happen to me when I look at Jesus when he was raised from the dead? I can say the same spirit that then raised Jesus, whom I received through believing this, will do the same for me. It will save my thoughts. It will save my emotions. It will save my body. It will save my life. And it will preserve me, a human being, inside a life without sin, without death. Isn't that beautiful? That is what this is talking about. Confession of sins is not something we do to get God not to be angry with us. You know, there was a time when we thought, uh, when I was taught, and when I taught, and I said, you know, if, I, if you confess your sins, then God will not keep that thing against you anymore. No, it's got nothing to do with confessing your sin and that God will not keep something against you. It is almost like, uh, like an alcoholic. If a guy has got an alcohol problem, um, unless he thinks he's got a problem, he will never be set free from the problem. Unless he can come to a place where he says, you know what, um, this is, my body is addicted to alcohol, and I see, that, and I see a need for help. 
unless he come to, comes to a place where he thinks that he's got a problem, he will never go for help. You know, if you look at people that, that helps alcoholics, um, I'm not even talking about Christianity, just AA or whatever program there is helping alcoholics or people that is in addiction, those things will mean nothing to somebody that doesn't think he's got a problem. But the moment you've got, you, you realize, I've got a problem and I've, I'm, I'm addicted, what's the first thing that will happen to your mind? There is a program that can help people to be set free from this. And that is what I believe John tried to come uh, and say here. He wanted the Gnostics who say, I have no sin, not because Jesus took away my sin, but I, I'm quite okay living in a body that is evil. That's why all this evil manifests. And because my spirit is okay with God, you know, my spirit's okay. I'm just passing on to the, uh, you know, and God will teach me more and teach me more. And so will I just evolve spiritually into this um, and just know more of the goodness of God or more of spirituality is actually the right word. Um, when you can come and realize, listen, it's not just about a spirit. It's about God. It's about you as a human being being saved. And if you can come to the, to the acknowledgement that your belief system is wrong, if you can say about your belief what God says about your belief, that's what the word confess there means. It's homo logeo, homo meaning the same. That's where we get homosexual, you know, um, from the same sexuality. That's how they, you know, they want to, I mean, same sex is coming together. Homo, the same. So when we say homo logeo, logeo is where we get the word, uh, uh, um, word from, word logic, logos, homo logos, homo logeo, same word as, if we can confess our sins, if we can have the same word as what God has about man and our inability, we find that the moment we do that, our hearts actually now start to look at the resurrection of a physical body, which Jesus had, and we say, how in the world did he get it right to be raised from the dead and to be raised out of all darkness and all sin? And we see that he simply relied upon the Father. And then if we, if we hear a message that Jesus was actually born of a virgin and he had no sin when he was born and that he somehow took our sin on him, we will come to the revelation that, my goodness, my sin was conquered. My death was conquered. And what takes place in that moment is you starting to walk in the light as he is in the light. How is he in the light? The way Jesus walked in the light is, the Bible says, the glory of God was shining in the physical face of Jesus Christ. And as I'm starting to see that Jesus you know, that, the, that, that he was shining with the glory of God, and I can see my inclusion or my union with that, I'm starting to walk in that same light. For now, I'm starting to see the revelation of the glory of God that was shining in the body of Jesus, also shining in my body. And what happens then? I find I'm being saved from the power of sin and death in my flesh. This body of death is I'm being redeemed, I'm being saved from it, and I'm finding life coming to me. That is what this is all about. I know this is technical, but that's why we've got the wonderful thing, which is called um, uh, 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 YouTube and Rewind.
and you can go and listen to this message again and again, and we've got something that's even more wonderful called the Parakletos, which, uh, uh, which is the Holy Spirit, which means the one called alongside to help, to reveal, and to teach. So the vision is not for me to preach this and have you understand everything at once. Uh, years ago, a preacher said, the vision is simply this, to start a spark or a fire, you know, in you that can burn up, you know, and burn greatly unto the glory of God in your life. And this is, the, this is, the, this is what I want to do. I want to just start a spark, start a way of thinking inside you that you can go to God and say, God, what do you say about this? How does this sin confession work? How does this physical resurrection of Jesus work? I want to end off with quoting Romans 7, which I do a lot. Romans 7, Paul comes and he basically says, When I, through my own human ability, through this flesh, through this body, want to save myself from death, I cannot do it. And he quotes the 10th commandment there, which says, You shall not desire. And he says, the more I've tried to obey the 10th commandment, the more I find that in my own ability, I cannot do it. I find that, that this is called a body of death. I find that this body cannot do it. But now it says, who will set me free from this body? When Gnost the Gnostics said, the way we will be set free from this body is through, through just dying and our spirits leaving our body. But... Paul comes and he, in Romans 7, the end in Romans 8, he comes and he quotes and he explains how we are set free from the body of death. Not by leaving the body, but by this body being glorified with eternal life by the Holy Spirit. And he says, when I started to believe that and sought salvation for this body, simply by the goodness of God and the revelation that God by His Spirit has access to heal me from the fruit of the flesh, to heal me from sin in the flesh, to actually heal this body, which the Gnostics called evil, to heal it and create it into the image of the Son of God, which is a physical body in equality with God. When I had that revelation and started to believe that and sought that for my body by the Spirit and out obedience to the law, you know what? I started to see what he even quotes in Romans 8, the first fruit of the Spirit. So what we would say now is, as we believe this, and I can confess this, I can confess that by my own ability, I can never save myself. By obedience to the law, I can never even bring any form of prosperity, godly prosperity over myself. The other day I spoke to somebody and they said to me, you know, um, there's certain things that we actually don't need Christ for because we've got programs today. So we've got doctors and, and those kind of things. And I mean, I used to believe that uh, years and years ago. Um, but the like, for instance, say you've got an anger problem. They say there are anger management problems, uh, uh, programs. Now, listen, um, an anger management program will never get you free from anger. You are just managing your anger. <laughs> You're never free from anger. And what Christ promises is not an anger management or a sexual problem management program. What he is telling you is... You, by no program, can ever be set free from that. 
but and you don't have to seek freedom from your body by dying and having your spirit leave your body why don't you come and confess you know your inability but also confess it in the light of the gospel and in the light of John 1 verse 1 to 4 where it talks about a physical man Jesus Christ that was glorified and has got eternal life eternal holiness in his physical body and simply say that includes me today we um, I almost said a guest speaker we didn't have a guest speaker we've got another pastor in our Malmesbury church uh, Eric Mankies and he came and he said something so powerful he said if good news is not um, good news needs to be in order for good news to touch my life it needs to be very good news in other words it needs to be good news it can't be uh, something like you know God will bless you if you pay your tithe that's not good news at all uh, good news is God has blessed you know now uh, the example he used he says you can come with good news and say God has given you a car now that's very good news and can bring some form of joy but it doesn't include me real good news is God has given me a car that's real good news because it includes me now when we look at Jesus and we look at it from an in, a place where we see ourselves included in other words when we see a physical man raised from the dead and we can see that we are included into that and can confess our sin our inability and can confess that even now in this life right now even as a Christian you can say I still see certain inabilities in me you know when we can see that from the perspective of our union in the resurrection you know confession of sins as just acknowledgement I've done something wrong can never save you not at all when we confess when we acknowledge our inability in the light of what Christ has done that means something you know I've seen many people say I'm sorry and they are sincerely sorry and it doesn't set them free what sets you free is if you can come to the acknowledgement of your inability in the light of God conquering the inability in your body giving you a brand new life in Christ where that conquering has taken place 2000 years in, uh, ago since because Christ took your sin upon him if you can have that revelation and that truth as the foundation from where you look at things you what I found in my life is you find something supernatural that that just takes place my mom said to me the other day and I was speaking to her over the phone and she said to me one thing she can say about Christianity is the moment you start to believe that God loves you and the moment you start to see the kindness of God and the goodness of God you find your heart drift towards doing that and your life drift towards doing that and she said it's a phenomena she said that's what you say to people she says I don't know how to explain everything but there is this phenomena that if you believe those things those things start to manifest in your life and that's the wonderful thing that God has come to do the good news has to be good news it has to be true it has to be news news is not news is something had to have happened in order for it to be news you get breaking news it is something has happened and now we tell it the news is that your sin has been conquered in a physical body 
that your death has been conquered. And as we, can, we don't have to be ashamed anymore to acknowledge any weakness. So we, when we acknowledge this in the light of the death and the resurrection of Christ, we find that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead raises us up. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, I find that this spirit starts to raise me up and I see the first fruit of it. Do you know where it will end? We find now that sin loses its power over us, you know, and we also find that um, we find the old man and his deeds has died in Christ, and we find the new man and his deeds manifesting in us, and the new man will fully manifest in the return of Jesus, which will ma be manifested as a physical human body, not another one, the one you are in, fully healed, fully cured, never dying, ever holy, having no ability to sin. That is what God has done. So, and that's how I see sin confession. Now, you might say, Baptist, should we confess our sins to one another? Um, yes. Why? It's very simple. If somebody harmed you, or if you harmed somebody, let's take it from that perspective. If you harmed somebody, you might say, well, Jesus forgave me my sin, or, and, or Jesus forgave him his sin. What's the need to confess this sin. <clears throat> the need is simply this. The other person, the way a human being functions is that he needs the assurance that you will want, that you are good to, you will be good to him. That's what he needs in order to trust. We're even like that with God. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. God knows that. He needs to be good to us to win our hearts so that we can trust in him. The word trust or believe means to have your mind at rest in the integrity of someone else. <clears throat> now, um, God had to come and show His integrity in order for us to be able to trust Him. The Bible says, even faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. He had to bring forth a word of truth and first do it, so that we could hear it, so that it could win our hearts. In the very same way, if, you, if you've been in a business deal with somebody and you couldn't pay him, don't Try now and look at the mistakes the guy that borrowed you the money did and start to find fault and those kind of things. And even if it's happened years ago and that guy said it is okay, you know what is still a good thing to do? Go to the guy, express, your, uh, express that you're sorry that this has happened. Confess that that was not a right thing to do. When you do that, the other person sees that you see that it is a mistake and that your heart doesn't want to do that. And the moment that takes place, it opens up his heart for you. So I believe in between one another, let's say we are sorry because when we do that, it's easy for the other person to live a normal life of love towards you. It, it, we just make it so much easier. But as pertaining to God, we don't need to say we are sorry in order for him to forgive us or to love on us. I think if we come just practically, and this is not even what I see in scripture, just relationship orientated. If I've done something wrong and I could, and through that I've harmed the name of the church or harmed the name of God in this earth or do something like that. You know, I can go and say, God, you know, in my relationship with you. I just want to say, not in order for you to forgive me, because I come to you and I know you're not keeping 
any score of wrong. Love keeps no score of evil or anything like that. But I just want to come from my relationship with you and just want to say to you, man, I'm so sorry that I've done this. We don't do it in order for God to forgive us. I think it's also just a good thing for our hearts to express sorrow when it is there, if we feel to do it. But it's not necessary in order for God to forgive us. I think a confession of sin is necessary for salvation and deliverance in the context that I've explained in 1 John uh, 1. Um, not that God will now forgive you and save you, but for it's, a, it's actually talking about an acknowledgement that a certain doctrine is wrong. Seeing your union with Christ is actually talking about acknowledging Jesus as Lord in 1 John 9. Glory to God. I trust that everyone that listened to this has been blessed. I would like to pray for you right now. Let us just pray. Father, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you that we don't even have to be ashamed of our flesh. We can come to you. And thank you, Lord, that you're not trying to deliver us from our bodies, but you want to save us completely. And when we see that, we even find that we respect our own bodies so much more. We respect the bodies of other people so much more. We love people. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness that you bring forth. You know, if you are watching, maybe you're watching for the first time, maybe you just slot into this right now, and you feel in your life, you feel that your life needs Jesus. You feel you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Um, I would like to pray for you right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. And um, it's going to be different than a normal sinner's prayer, but I want you to pray this with me if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord. Pray these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, you are my innocence. Your life is my life. You have conquered my sin and death. I believe that. I come to you and I receive the fact that you have received me. Your life is mine. I have sinned and my, by my works I don't have the ability to reach eternal life. But you did it for me. I receive this life, your life, as my life. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Thank you so much.